Hello, and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Hey, so today we're going to jump back into the Sermon on the Mount. Today we are in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. I love you, Lindsay. Strap in, guys. Just hope you know on my last day, I'm giving her two chapters to read, so really strap in. (laughs) I may. I may need to take a break and catch my breath, but here we go. So in verse 19 in chapter 6, it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy And thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store foods in their barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Troubles, today's trouble is enough for the day. This is the gospel of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you as always for this room and for these people. And I, I just ask you to wake us up to your spirit in the next few minutes. I feel like you um, have work you want to do in us around our fears. And so I just pray. Um, that you would give us eyes to see what you're doing around us and in us, and would you give us the courage to uh, join you in that work. In your name we pray, amen. Um, 
So today's sermon is, uh, I could say this a lot of times, but this one feels like it needs a huge disclaimer. Um, it is heavily influenced by uh, the Bible Project. Are, are you all familiar with the Bible Project? It is fantastic. If you're like looking for a resource uh, out in the world, the Bible Project is a phenomenal one. There's a guy named Tim Mackey that writes for the Bible Project that um, might be one of our like real life living geniuses. Um, and so if you hear anything this morning that you think, wow, that's really insightful, you should assume that Tim Mackey wrote it um, because most likely he did. And on the contrary, if you hear anything that you think that sounds ridiculous or very confusing, then you should safely assume that I wrote that. Um, so that's how you can uh, distinguish this. But basically all morning I could say Tim Mackey Mackey says to everything, and I'm just not, so just know that Tim Mackey said all the good stuff um, in here. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, we've been here for the last few weeks, and um, the big, deep parts of it keep on coming. Last week, Chad talked about enemies. Um, if you missed that, it's, it's, a, it's a must listen, a hard listen, but a must listen. Um, and then today, we have money. Um, usually, when we do the Sermon on the Mount or other parts of Jesus, I just skip the parts about money, um, but today, we're not going to. <laughs> so, um, uh, and if you're here and you are new with us, you're like, great, I showed up on the money day, fantastic. They're probably going to like guilt me into a special offering. There's no special offerings. Um, I actually think money is, is a great time to come visit a church because if a church is going to get weird about anything, they're going to get weird about money, right? So, uh, so let's get weird. Um, in, uh, in order to dive into what Jesus has to say here, I would like to first uh, kind of take like a big step back. Um, it's what we do a lot around here. I think it's like if I um, can can teach any practice on the stage, it's like to if when something seems like it's this close, it's also it's really good to take a big step wide or wide step back. Um, and so I want to do that and look at um, the idea of generosity throughout the entire Bible. So. Um, you thought Chad reading scripture was long, get very comfy because we're doing the whole Bible today. Um, according to the story of the Bible, uh, the uh, whole world, the story of the world begins in the garden. Uh, and I would argue so does the story of generosity. Um, Walter Brueggemann calls Genesis chapter 1 a song of praise for God's generosity. Uh, the Garden of Eden, it is a place in the scriptures, it's a place of abundance where uh, everything that the first man and everything the first woman could need or want uh, was there. The garden uh, in Genesis 1 was set up like a party that you go to where the host has thought of everything and taking care of everything. Have, have you ever been on a cruise? Uh, okay, okay, like it makes me think of a cruise where like everything is thoughtfully taken care of you where you're like, um, I didn't even know I was hungry, but now I need ice cream because it appeared out of nowhere. Actually, maybe I should say it's a cruise 10 years ago where everything was provided for and free. Now they show it to you and they're like, that would be $45,000. Um, but but it's, it, it, there's this generous host. This is how the garden looks. This generous host who um, throws this party full of abundance, a place uh, of abundance. And the host is, is full of generosity and loving kindness. It's a place free from worry or fear or scarcity or anxiety where God, the generous host, uh, creates a world that is safe and abundant where every need was met, where there was no fear that anything would run out. Uh, the whole world, Genesis tells us, was built on a system where humans are tasked by God, by their creator, with living out his image, the Imago Dei. And when they do that, uh, the world will always produce enough of whatever is needed. 
That's the system that the world was built on. And I think it's important for us to talk about this, this this world, this system that is uh, free from anxiety and full of abundance. Because um, in a Christian worldview, these are the things that we believe that the world was uh, quite literally built on. According to the Bible, the DNA of the universe is one of abundance, one free from anxiety. It was a world full of provision, um, but built into this world of provision was an element of trust. If you know the story, God uh, sends uh, the first man and the first woman into this garden, and in the middle of the garden is this tree, and he says um, that they're not supposed to eat or drink of this tree. It's like the one place of restriction in the whole thing. Um, The one thing that the first man and the first woman are told, don't reach for this. Everything else is yours. Everything else is provided for. Don't touch this one thing. And in the story, there's um, this movement where uh, the man and the woman, they meet evil in the form of a snake. And the snake has this conversation with the woman uh, where for the first time since creation, scarcity enters the scene. Uh, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project calls uh, the snake's words to Eve a subtle undermining of God's generosity. That's what scarcity is from a biblical perspective. The snake's argument is that um, God was holding out on humans. He essentially says, there's something that you need or something that you want in this tree, and it's currently inaccessible to you, but I know how you can get it. And as the woman eats the fruit, humanity tastes um, this desire for the first time. For the first time, the man and woman experience how it feels to want something and then to take it entirely for themselves and exclusively for their own benefit. And in a moment, in this garden, the system shifts. And in the hearts of the first man and the first woman, abundance gives way to scarcity. And the story continues from there uh, with God's people. Uh, God, he, he uh, has an entire people and he, he separates them. He sets them apart in order to show the rest of the world his promise of care and his promise of provision and this system of abundance. And the people of God are led um, to uh, what they call a land flowing with milk and honey, where like the garden, they could trust God for all that they needed. But like the garden, scarcity sneaks in and God's people, they, they stop ruling the world out of a place of trust and hope in the generous host and instead uh, choose to rule on their own terms, taking what they want for themselves. We, as humans, uh, chose, chose to rule the world as a zero-sum game, as if there's uh, not enough to be had where everyone is responsible to take what you can while you can. And if you get more, uh, than you ha- more than you need, then you need to store it up because it could all go away in a single moment. If, if you read through the Old Testament, this is the story over and over and over again. Conquering, pillaging, taking, fear, anxiety. And so the Bible tells us that at just the right time, uh, the generous host steps in and offers the world a gift in the middle of the darkness of their scarcity. And the gift that he offers the world is himself. Uh, the full provision and abundance of his presence in the world through Jesus, the Son of God. And through Jesus, God inaugurates his kingdom to fill the world with more of his abundance and presence. Uh, I was just pausing for applause because I just did the whole Bible in like five minutes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Which brings us to Jesus, this gift of God's presence, his provision, his abundance, brings us to Jesus uh, and the Sermon on the Mount. 
In Matthew 6, where Jesus uh, talks about these things that have marked the world for all of time, uh, since, or since uh, uh, Eve first ate that, that fruit, generosity uh, has marked the world, but also abundance and scarcity. And so Jesus, he speaks in to these things. And it's important that we talk about how the world was created because um, to see the world through the eyes of Jesus means to see the, uh, the conception of the whole world rooted in provision and in a lack of anxiety. This is Jesus's worldview, a world created in abundance with a, a lack of anxiety, a lack of scarcity. Jesus's world was built completely and entirely in abundance, and that's what he speaks out of. He speaks about a world where God brought order out of chaos and within that world was safety and provision and generosity. This is the world that Jesus was part of creating, but it is also the world that he's tasked with filling the earth with more of. For Jesus, abundance and trust aren't religious principles, they're universal principles. Uh, They are what the whole world was built on and what he is tasked with returning the earth to. It's why in his talk uh, on, on these topics, he talks about, uh, the, he points to the birds and he points to the wildflowers. Uh, not just because they're beautiful and poetic, though I think that that part is incredibly beautiful and poetic. But what he's saying is, is see, like evidence of the presence of generosity, the presence of a generous host, it's everywhere. All over the world, evidence of that generous host's abundance is all around you. Don't be afraid. And this is interesting to me. Um, But if you read through the Gospels, pretty much half the time that Jesus is talking, he was talking about money. Like what to do with money, how to use money, or as an example to illustrate something. It isn't something that he avoided. It isn't something he shied away from. It is something I do. Um, It legitimately is one of my greatest weaknesses as a preacher. I was talking about this at the uh, membership class last week. I am so avoidant of talking about money. I think that money has caused so much damage in the world, but particularly in the church. Um, And then money is also like super politically charged in a way that I don't totally understand. And so I have this fear that I'm going to step into something uh, without realizing it. And so I just avoid it completely completely. which I'm sorry for because that isn't the way of Jesus. Like all of those things were true in Jesus' time. Money had done great damage in the world and especially in the church. Uh, It also was incredibly politically charged beyond my comprehension. And yet Jesus talked about it all the time. So I'm going to start doing that too. I'm just going to talk about it all the time. Our next, our, our next three series are called uh, Get Your Wallet Warm, Buy Mama a Building. So... <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I mean, you can buy mama a building, but I'm not going to talk about it all the time. I do hope to be less avoidant in the future after this confession. But okay, back to Jesus' sermon. Um, if you remember, uh, the point of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is teaching his followers how to obtain freedom how to uh, walk in the good stuff of the kingdom of God, how to show up as free citizens in God's kingdom. Essentially, it is three chapters of Jesus saying, here is the way to a flourishing life. And um, so the worldview of Je- with the worldview of Jesus in mind, I want to jump into our specific text today a little bit closer. Our, our text today starts out with Jesus uh, giving storage advice. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths and where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves can break in and steal. 
Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. I want to be really clear. I don't think that in this section on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not is saying, don't have a savings account or don't invest in a 401k. I don't think that at all. Um, I've also heard another uh, that I think um, bad teaching where, where people teach that Jesus is saying, we're not supposed to worry about anything in this world. We're only supposed to worry about the next one. Like we're only supposed to worry about heaven. But that doesn't super hold up for me because the Sermon on the Mount is very much a teaching about how to live in the world now. Like how to live today. And Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom of God, um, while there's absolutely a a future not yet part of that, uh, there is also very much an already and right now part of that. And so I think rather than Jesus saying, don't worry about this world, just worry about the next one, I think that Jesus instead is taking a very right now approach uh, in this passage. I think what he's saying is what he's always saying, that God's kingdom can be found here. And it can be found now. And if that's true, then treasures of that kingdom also have a level of accessibility here. And they have a level of accessibility now. I read this as Jesus saying, God's kingdom and its treasures can be found here. Pursue those above everything else. Give your heart and your focus and your resources to accessing the kingdom of heaven that you can find all around you or to bringing more of it into the world. I read this this week, uh, and it made, it's sort of cheesy, but it made sense. Um, you don't uh, store your food in the fridge in hopes of moving into your fridge to enjoy the food, right? You don't store money in a bank in hopes of moving into the bank to enjoy. Actually, that might be fun. Enjoy other people's money, too. Um, <laughs> the illustration breaks down. But uh, godly hope is not to one day go to heaven and there enjoy the treasures that you have stored up. Godly hope is bringing heaven here. Godly hope is bringing heaven here uh, to the now. And I think that this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, want to invest your money? Great. Invest in getting more of heaven here. Put your money into the renewal of things here, in your community, in your world. Put your time and your talents and your brain uh, and your hopes into more of the good stuff of heaven here. And this impacts everything. I think it impacts how we spend our money and, and how we give our money. It means we need to ask questions about the stuff we're buying. I'm on this whole kick right now about fast fashion versus sustainable fashion. I think we're meant to ask those questions. I think we're meant to to, uh, spend and give our money toward people and places that are putting things back to right from clothes to charitable giving to how we invest, things like that. It impacts uh, how we spend our time and how we spend our skills. It means learning how to teach generously or work in the medical field generously or show up to Denso uh, generously as if more of heaven comes into the world through us. Uh, Beekner says that God's calling to us is wherever uh, our great or our deep gladness and the world's great hun- hunger meet. So our deep gladness and the world's great hunger, wherever that intersection is, that uh, is the renewal of all things for you. That intersection, I think, is worth discovering and it's worth investing in. Where do I need to pour into where my deep gladness and the world's deep hunger intersect? 
part of what Jesus is doing here is to, to push back against what the world has decided flourishing looks like and saying instead that in the kingdom of God, flourishing does not mean submitting our lives to must-haves or to economic theories or to scarcity mindset or to whatever Warren Buffett tells us to do. He's saying that the kingdom way of flourishing is to submit our desires from something natural to something supernatural. To submit to the abundance and the provision of the generous host. And I don't mean that all of those things are bad. Warren Buffett or economic theories, they're not bad. I'm saying they're just not the lens of kingdom flourishing. We can find wisdom in those things, in natural things. uh, But the natural things we filter through something beyond the natural through the kingdom of God. The way Jesus says it uh, is he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Uh, N.T. Wright says this. He says that we can't do this because money talks and it gives orders and it bosses you around. Anyone else? It's true, right? And Jesus argues that a flourishing life in the kingdom can only have one boss. And that's the generous hope, uh, or the generous host of all hope and abundance. Okay, one more thing. Uh, before we close up, and I couldn't find a way to work this in smoothly, so we're just going to like, and turn. <laughs> thank, you. thank you, Dad. <laughs> um, I had this hunch that maybe the Spirit wanted to do something uh, in us around uh, the idea of scarcity. It may just be for me in front of you, um, but maybe it's for some of you. I, I really do think that this part of the Sermon on the Mount is not just a, a talk about giving your resources generously, though it is that. I also think it is a prophetic critique on a scarcity mindset. And so I think it's something we have to talk about. I'm sorry, every Enneagram 6 in the room. Um, I think Jesus is saying that scarcity is antithetical to the kingdom of God. I think he's saying it because part also because part of being human means that every single one of us gravitates in one way or another toward a scarcity mindset. We all do, and so he critiques it, and he critiques it hard. So what is a scarcity mindset? Scarcity refers to the gap between uh, limited resources and limitless wants. It's the gap in there. A scarcity mindset is a mind uh, uh, set on things running out. It's living your life in fear of limitation or in fear of shortage. Uh, scarcity, it swarms our minds with fears of not having enough uh, or, or uh, often as the panic or fear of someone else having too much. For some of you, you are terrified that you won't have enough. For plenty of us, we're afraid that someone else is going to get what is, what is meant for us. And it somehow both, thre- both threatens us with unfulfillment and then becomes the proof of that threat. It is a, it is a nasty thing that invades us. If you've ever, uh, here's my best example of scarcity mindset. If you've ever set down a tray of pizza rolls to a group of 15-year-old boys, then you have experienced scarcity mindset. Those jokers will burn their hands and the roofs of their mouth off completely in order to make sure that they get all the pizza rolls that they want and that their friends don't, Right? It is scarcity mindset uh, in activity. Uh, it, it is hilarious to watch, but it's also a little bit embarrassing if you take it a next step further because I feel like watching them is how it was watching me live my life. Anxious and afraid that it is going to run out. The money, the time, the energy, the excitement that they're going to run out. Scarcity mindset is going on vacation and never looking up to enjoy the vacation because you're counting pennies or steps or uh, what could have been. It's me right now, uh, currently in my life, because I have three more weeks of chat and I am in a full-on panic about it. Because it might run out. 
Scarcity, it's everywhere. It's, 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 in, it's in our theories of economics and it's in, it's in philosophy. Everyone from Aristotle to uh, Marx to Kant. It, it is the base and the foundation of so much 21st century thinking. And yet Jesus seems to be talking about another way. A universe that's rooted not in a fear of things running out, but a root in abundance. A safe place with a generous host. And he seems to be teaching that part of the renewal of our minds means taking seriously his call to guard ourselves from being owned by scarcity. A way of uh, opening up our hands to trust the goodness of God. Jesus seems to have what N.T. Wright calls a lively sense of God's goodness. He talks about it in flowers, and he talks about it in fields and birds, and he points out that all around us, God has set up the world to prove that he will take care of us, that our anxiety will never be what rescues us, that our fear will never be the thing that keeps us safe, that only the generous host can do those things. He seems to be saying that the problems of the world are not a lack of resources, but a failure to steward those resources well. Uh, The problems of anxiety in my life are not a lack of resources, but a failure of stewarding those resources well. Money is a terrible and very bossy boss, and it speaks the language of fear. It has taught us to close our fists and to be afraid. While Jesus, the more he talks, the more he seems to say, open up your hands. The posture of the kingdom is this. Daring us toward radical generosity, daring us toward believing that we will be cared for by the abundance of God. And therefore, we can share all kinds of resources to fill the earth with more of that. I think maybe more than anything else here, uh, Jesus is just talking about faith and trust. He says, the place where your treasure is, the place that owns your trust, the place that owns your faith, that is the place you will most want to be. And I think he's giving us a choice. Do we most want to be in a world afraid that everything is going to run out? Or do we most want to be in a place where gratitude and generosity overtake scarcity and overtake fear? I know where I want to be. I also know where I live. So here's what I want to do. I want to stop here and pause here. We, we do a Selah every week. That's what we call it. It's just a quiet pause uh, to not move on too quickly from whatever we've talked about. Um, I want to spend a quiet minute, and I want to ask the Holy Spirit to do two things in us. There are going to be verses on the screen. If it's helpful, follow along. Spoiler, they're the message version of this, and it does not get better. It is really convicting. <laughs> but uh, uh, here's my two questions, for, and I hope that you will ask God. Uh, the first is, where am I being owned by scarcity? Uh, some of you are like, I'm not afraid the money will run out. But it may be something else. It may be, um, I, I know for me right now, uh, and, and those of you over 40 will laugh at this, but turning 40 turned the time clock in my life into a place of fear rather than excitement. And so there's other ways that we could be owned by scarcity. What, where are you being owned by scarcity? And then um, as you discover that, would you have the courage to ask the Holy Spirit, will you renew my mind and fill me with faith here? And just name it. 